Hello, fellow movie lovers, and welcome to Cult Fiction, a podcast where we re-examine Hollywood's red-headed stepchildren. As a red-headed stepchild myself, I'm Stephanie Johnson. And I'm Andy Boel. And uh, for a first, we do not have a guest host, but we have a third host. And Wait, I'm, I'm not a guest? I mean, you're a very, very special guest, but like last time it was a straight up replacement. This time uh, we're doing the uh, tripletta thing and I'm just feeling very weird. I feel like I need to say hello, internet friends, because we have the incomparable Alex Ruiz. Yeah. Is this a crossover episode, guys? I'm so mad at you. <laughs> yeah, you should be. <laughs> And uh, now that I've completely broken how I start every episode, uh, this week we pulled open Hollywood's Crypt to review 1994's Kevin Smith-directed near and dear to Alex's heart, Clerks. My love for you is like a truck bell saga. Would you like some making fuck bell saga? Yeah. That's why I'm putting up with him and why he's here. <laughs> you love me. I do. I put a ring on it. I mean, at the same time, like when we first devised the crypt list, I think this was one of the first movies. This was either one of the first movies you put down or you saw that I put this down and was like, Alex has to be on this episode. It will be impossible otherwise. Yes. And such that, it would be impossible for my marriage to do well otherwise because he would not let me hear the end of it. I mean, here's the thing. I would have been okay if y'all didn't ask me on for this episode. Like, I would have survived, but I would have judged this episode very, very harshly. I wasn't on for Conan, which was another, like, movie that was important for my childhood. This movie was so essential to my adolescence that, like... It would have legitimately been insulting not to ask me. Well, now that we've revved around it, in case you missed the movie, Clerks is the story of Dante, a clerk of a New Jersey convenience store. Through a black and white convenience store camera, we see one day in the life of Dante Hicks. Between new revelations about his girlfriend Veronica, an impromptu hockey game, a fine for $500, the death of an old flame, the reappearance of another, and a lovely bathroom surprise. Black. <laughs> and yeah so uh, just a couple things out of the way this is the second movie we watched that's in black and white and bizarrely uh this is black and white for the same reasons that jim jarmusch's down by law is in that it was cheaper so we have yet to actually watch a black and white movie that is black and white because color film wasn't a thing yet oh we'll get there someday someday <laughs> it'll happen yeah. Um, and this is also the second movie that is the, you know, start of somebody's career. The other one being uh, Peter Jackson's Bad Taste. And I got to say, like, personally, I think there is something so endearing about watching somebody's freshman efforts. Um, you know, neither of them are perfect movies, I think. But I just there's there's something about it that I deeply love and respect and i mean clearly a lot of people did as well because you know clerks is clerks is clerks i feel like everybody knows clerks or at least everybody's heard of it and certainly everyone's heard of kevin smith so he shot his shot and it worked out for him yeah it's a one of those kind of other love letters to film because i think he sold how much of his comic collection alex 
Uh, okay, so the entire budget of the movie was $27,000, um, 27575 but To be exact. To be exact. Um, and he sold most of his, like, prized comic book collection. Right. Um, also maxed out, like, I think eight to ten credit cards. Uh, Respect. He also... Respect. Yeah, he dipped, he dipped into, like what was left of a college fund that he had because he at that point at this point dropped out of like two different colleges one in new jersey and one that was like i think the vancouver film school if i remember correctly uh and he also spent his insurance money from a car that he and jason muse lost in a flood like <laughs> he put everything he had into getting together that twenty seven thousand dollars to make this movie most of which was spent on film which I believe, and it makes it so sweet because that's, I think that's what we love about first movies on cult fiction is like the heart is right there. Yeah, I think the heart and just also like the ingenuity, the means under which this movie was made required them to get creative as hell. And mm-hmm. there's so much about it. Like, you know, the reason they did black and white color stock beyond the fact that it was cheaper than color film was the other thing was they couldn't afford to light everything properly. So if they had done this in color, it would have either looked totally weird or they would have needed to have spent a whole lot more money making it look correct. But you know, in black and white, you can't see color tones the same way you know uh, Dante spends the whole movie with the shutters closed because somebody stuck gum in the locks the actuality Mm -hmm. is because the entire thing was filmed during the night and they you know they couldn't afford to actually have anything be in the sun stuff like that is just so like shit good for you Kevin Smith for figuring out how to make the thing happen And the fact that he used his family members and friends as actors, similar to Bad Taste, where it was just a group of friends making a movie on the weekends for however many, four years, I think it was. But, like, Kevin Smith's mom and sister are in this. He he has a sister do one scene uh, where she just, like, explains that it's important to have, like, feel fulfillment in your job because they're watching a man, like go through all the eggs to make sure that all the eggs are like exact because he's a high school guidance counselor and he feels like if there are standards about the eggs that he buys then there's meaning in the world and he makes his sister say like you need it's important to have meaning in your lives boys that's why i manually masturbate (laughs) animals for artificial insemination at the zoo which, if you read the original script, it actually, like, I have the original script. That's how big of a nerd I am for this movie. In the original script, she says, like, she's a pollster or something. Something like that. And he cast his sister and said, no, I'm not going to make my sister say that she's a pollster. I'm going to make my sister say that she manually masturbates animals at the zoo for artificial insemination. Because that's just how you mess with your sister. No, I love it. And that kind of leads into, like... The, my biggest takeaway from the movie, I, I'd seen Clerks at least once before. I think I'd seen chunks of it um, before that. But it's been easily like a decade since I've seen Clerks. And, Same. you know, I watched it with Mariah 
And first of all, watching her watch it was a treat in and of itself because she <laughs> did not enjoy this film very much at all. <laughs> um, um, but so, you know, watching it again, like it is very clear that this was a phenomenal script and you and I have talked on love hate relationship about Kevin Smith and about how he is a writer above just about anything else. This was a phenomenally written script that buoyed some really charming is the nice word and, and shitty is the uh, probably realistic word performances by, you know, the majority of the cast, except for, you know, Dante and Randall and, um, you know, Veronica, the actual actors that they got everyone else. It's very yeah. stilted acting, but you know what? I'm, I'm willing to forgive it. It's not good acting, but it, it all just leads back into the heart. Yeah. I'm trying to think like, cause I know that Kevin Smith actually went to like the local playhouse and auditioned some of the actors who regularly perform there to for the movie i know that's how we got randall how they got jeff anderson at, for randall i think that's also how they got the chulies gum guy he was another one of the actors that they auditioned sure. oh, i loved him he's yeah. one of my favorite parts yeah i'm like i'm trying to remember all I, I don't remember all of them but i think that the two of those uh and maybe the actress who played veronica i think they all came from that playhouse i know he knew Brian O'Halloran through someone else, but Brian O'Halloran was an actor as well. And I think I read that Brian O'Halloran wasn't the original Dante. Somebody else was, but then that guy dropped out. And Dante's based on Smith, so. Sure. Which makes sense when you examine Smith's life, like dropped out of college twice, worked at a, like when he made this, he was working at the convenience store where it was filmed. Yeah. Right. During the day. I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh, fuck you. Yeah, and that can't be highlighted enough. You know, like, if if you're somebody who listens to cult fiction and hasn't um, gone through love-hate relationship, hasn't heard our talk about Kevin Smith, like, it cannot be understated the hell he put himself through to make this movie and the blood, sweat, and tears, like... Correct me if I'm wrong, Alex, but he would basically open the convenience store that the movie takes place in at 6 a.m., work until 11, start shooting, you know, through the night with everybody else until around four or so, catch an hour sleep and then repeat for three weeks. It was basically three weeks of that. He had days off in between. I don't think he was doing open to close every single day, but like he... That was his schedule for multiple, most of the days of filming was he was working the convenience store during the day. He'd sleep for an hour and then, yeah, he would film at night. Such that some of the big climactic, like, end scenes, apparently, like, I, I think the big the big dramatic Dante and Randall discussion at the end, um, like, he was apparently falling asleep during the filming of that just because he had worked this giant, ridiculous shift that that day and had done multiple days in a row at that point. Sure. Well, just like anybody who's worked one of these garbage jobs, which I think in one capacity or another, like all three of us have, have been the clerks at, at some point in our oh, lives. Yeah. Like, yeah. I think anybody can at least partially relate to that. I very much um, enjoyed the opening montage of Dante, you know, setting everything up in the shop, but it also gave me movie theater PTSD 
of you know showing up sure. at Regal Cinema for uh, a seven thirty opener shift and just setting all that shit up alone by yourself and realizing, oh great, the people who closed like didn't do under the popcorn machine and they left that in the middle of the floor and okay now I got to clean this too and just all that crap and and you know dealing with the dregs of society who who come in and need shit from you this movie resonates very deeply in that regard i don't know if i told you about this andy um i I worked in that same movie theater as an usher and when i was in graduate school i took a screenwriting class where our like final project was to write the first like 25 pages of a script and my script was basically a like clerk's ripoff taking place in a movie theater. You did tell me that. And I think about the, uh, the intro scene that you described to me, you know, every once in a while, I just play that through my head because I think it's some good work. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe for our bonus content, we'll stage a table reading of that. Oh God. I need to finish writing it. Oh, please. I'll film it. (laughs) Oh God. (laughs) delightful but yeah i mean should we talk about the like events of the movie at all uh, yeah we should we we tend to um (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's y'all's podcast well so like just just to start it off i didn't know this until i looked into it for this reading this is loosely based on the divine comedy what very Uh loosely Uh uh-huh they're supposed to be nine acts which is why you have the really random subtitles that don't make sense and i could have totally done without Mm -hmm. and it's supposed to loosely echo the nine circles of hell hell is a convenience store how how no exit like i i under i totally buy it i appreciate it i never caught that even once well that's why dante is named dante sure sure yeah it's it's also not very well done (laughs) Like Uh-oh. that, I, like I love this movie, but that part of this movie is not very well done, like at all. It's clearly a thing that was like from an earlier draft, and it was kind of abandoned and just kind of left. Like the subtitles were left in there and all of that, but sure. it never really connected properly. I think there is this like loose attempt at being a really philosophical movie because Dante and uh, Randall talk about like their philosophy of work and how they see life and all this stuff. And halfway through, I was like, this feels like a college freshman philosophy class. It's not even like well-developed philosophy. It's like, oh, you think you're being smart and being philosophical. Okay. I think the ending really ties that together because you know, up until that point, it almost seems like just a series of vignettes. I mean, yeah, the the overall point is we're trapped in the convenience store along with Dante, but it, it's just it, it's kind of like kind of like Down by Law, or at least at the very least, at the very least, it's very art house and it's very just like okay, like almost the tone and the feeling and the setting matter more than the actual events. You yeah. know, now that you make the comparison to Down by Law, I'm seeing a lot of similarities. Yeah. Well, something about all of Kevin Smith... Kevin Smith is a wordy-ass writer. Like, whether it's his movies or even his comic books, like, he's very, very... He overwrites. That's always been a thing for him. I know... 
I know you all do your reading racks. Uh, I will probably suggest for the reading racks, uh, there is a book of Kevin Smith, like, blog post that he did. It's called Silent Bob Speaks. It's very outdated at this point. It came out, I think, in, like, 2006. I read the whole thing. Um, but in it, he talked about one of his movies where he was given, like, a proper cinematographer. Like, a good ass has experience in giant, really, really visually beautiful uh, movies, and he's like, y'all know that I'm the least, like, visually oriented director <laughs> that's probably ever, like, my shit is just two people in a room talking, like, 97% of the time, th such that he was apologizing to this cinematographer, and he was just like, it's fine, we'll make it look nice. Well, and I feel like that's another similarity with Down by Law. I mean, there are some lovely, like, some lovely wide shots of the swamp and the bayou and there's a really nice slow pan at the end where it pans back out and you see the road diverging and that's really nice but for the most part Jarmusch's movies are all also two people in a room talking to each other about stuff sure yeah i think the through line is like and and as i say this i'm kind of surprised this hasn't happened you could make clerks a play very easily you could there was act there, uh, supposedly there was a brief moment where Clerks Three was potentially going to be a Broadway play, like he <laughs> was in talks with people about it, and it just never never amounted to anything. But there was a brief period of time where that was being considered. You know, I don't hate that. Um, something that I wanted to touch on that I can't quite remember what you said, Stephanie, that clued me on this, but like Kevin Smith the writing is just so nice and it's more than just, you know, there are plenty of great lines. There are, are plenty of great written out beats, but there's also so many just little tiny touches that were written into the script that flesh out, you know, our characters so well. I love Dante. When we first see him, he falls out of the closet because it's like, okay, what the <laughs> hell was he doing in there? How did his night end? I need to know this and I'm never going to. But it's stuff like that. He says that he closed the night before. That's so true. He came home from closing the convenience store and ended up sleeping in the closet for some reason. Uh, stuff like that. The the bit where he throws coffee grounds in milk and starts chewing. Even like you know, moving on from Dante, Randall fucking with the lady outside of the video store. And you're like, oh, what movie are you renting? Oh, oh, that's what I came. Bet you 20 bucks you don't get it. When she has no idea that he's the dude opening the store. Like there's so many things that are just good and, and work. And then beyond that, you do yeah. get the good moments like the, the Chuli's gum bit or, um, you know, the star Wars contractor scene is, I think the iconic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Iconic is the word for it. One of my favorite parts is the rooftop hockey scene. Yeah. Why is that one of your favorites? Because I bet it's for a different reason than me. <laughs> well, it's so anticlimactic. They rearrange their day. So they go up there on the roof in the day. It's one of the few daytime scenes. So it's it's kind of fun to figure out how they did that from like a filming perspective. But also it's just so anticlimactic that they kick the puck or they... They lose the ball. They... What is it, Andy? I know there's hockey terms, but I don't know that. I mean, puck would be the correct term, but since they're playing roller hockey, it is a ball. Oh, is it really? Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Um, so they lose the ball over the side of the building and they don't have another one. It's such a, it, it, it is, it does go back to like, like this convenience store is Jersey in a, you know, 40 by 50 building. <laughs> but this convenience store is also hell and a plane of hell. And the idea that you're stuck here, you were looking forward to playing hockey with your buds the whole time. You rearrange everybody's schedule. You give all these pricks free Gatorade and they only brought one ball and you let some asshole purposefully like shoot it out into the sunset. Like Dante is such a sad sack bastard in this play or in this play, in this movie. Um, and, and that's just another part of it. But, you know, personally me aside being the giant hockey nerd, I am, I really liked that scene. Cause I was sitting here being like, yeah, okay. Randall would have a USSR Jersey and, Okay, that's interesting. Okay, yeah, we got it. Is that a 1994 Tampa Bay Lightning jersey? It is. Oh, they had just come into the league. I wonder how he even got that. You can't see the jerk off motion that Stephanie is doing right no, now. No, I can't, but I can feel it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, fair enough. The way you feel about that hockey scene is the way I feel about the Star Wars scene as the like major Star Wars nerd. I guess is the way that I feel about Veronica's outrage at the 37 dicks thing. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I actually didn't care for Veronica's acting. It felt kind of stilted to me. Yeah. I mean, I was sitting there being like that first scene between her and Dante. It's very much. Okay. I found you guys in the local playhouse. And then ironically, it's Randall who I felt like at least once he comes in, just starts like mm-hmm. acting the shit around everybody else and kind of raised everything else to his level. At least I felt like. Can we all agree Randall's the best character? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And a pack of cigarettes. Cute cat. What's his name? Annoying customer. Fucking dickhead. Randall um, is absolutely the best character, and it it does make me laugh that he was based off Kevin Smith's best friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. Brian Johnson, who you can who like he does a podcast right now, like you can hear him, and he is basically Randall. Does like, he sound like this? Actually, he really doesn't. Like that's definitely an affectation that Jeff Anderson came up with, because okay. um, Jeff Anderson's actual voice is close to that, but he's definitely like playing it up he's i don't know how he came up with that accent but like brian johnson does not have the accent like that but he totally makes observations like randall does like he he is the one who will go off on a dumbass rant like randall will or mess with people the way randall will and yeah randall was basically brian johnson just worked at the rst video while kevin smith was in the convenience store and he would just lock the video store and come over and hang out with Smith on shifts and fuck around and show customers his porno mags and be a complete asshole. I love that. I want to know. So speaking of accents, um, Caitlin, you know, Dante's flame who comes in at the end and is played by an actress named Lisa spoon hour, who it looks like only did like three movies and two of them were, or no, she was in clerks she was in something called Bartender, and then she was in the Clerks TV show Pilot, which I didn't know existed. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, you. We'll talk. We can talk about that TV show. <laughs> um, but apparently, like, so, so she. I don't know how she knew Smith, but she, this was the only real project she ever did. And and let's talk about her accent and that like always chewing gum and that that weird like pronunciation of of the sh sound like. I don't know. There was just something about when Caitlin came on and started talking that you had to listen to her. I liked it. She has a she has a lisp, Andy. She had a lisp. Well, it was a very cute lisp. <laughs> <laughs> I figured it was not a real thing, but good given that she is in like no other actual movies, maybe it was. I mean, yeah. She also, just to tie back to Jeff Anderson real quick, um, I love that, you know, while Randall is the most foul character uh, in the entire movie, something that I found out was the scene where he's reading off all of the porno titles in front of the mom and her kid. Real life Jeff Anderson was like, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And they shot around it to make it work. <laughs> yes. Yes, they did. Because Jeff Anderson is a peach of a man. He's a gentleman and doesn't want to say those things in front of a child. Although I will also say that the reaction the mom gave was still given because someone read them out loud. Right. So like the evil was still done. It just wasn't done by Jeff Anderson. <laughs> also, I'm amazed you call Randall the most foul character when Jason Mewes is playing a 16 year old version of himself. Because Jay is absolutely based on who Jason Mewes was at 16 years old. Sup, sluts? Yes, that is actually how Jason Mewes talked at 16. Huh. <laughs> yeah, that's, well. that's fair. You know, it's funny. For, for how much Jay and Silent Bob grow to be like Kevin Smith's mascots, I really feel like Clerks is so not about them that... I literally forgot about Jay. Yeah. I mean, the later movies feature them more prominently. They're important supporting characters in Mallrats. They're bigger, more important characters in Dogma. And then the fourth movie is Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, which is literally about them. True. Like, their profile increases as it goes along. But this first movie, they're really just kind of there to break up the scenes. And for Jason Mewes to say ridiculous shit. Sure. No, I, I totally get it. And I, I I did like them just because I was sitting here just picturing the real life teenage wasteoids hanging out outside of a convenience store who clearly had to inspire these characters. I didn't realize apparently it was Jason Mewes' younger self he was drawing inspiration from. Yeah. Half of the things about this movie that didn't age well came out of Jason Mewes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so let's get into that. Social justice, one, two, three. I wanna be PC. It's just the way to be for me and you. Um. Well, there's Jay's, there's Jay's stuff that he says. Uh, Dante's reaction to Veronica's 37 dicks thing is definitely slut-shamey. There's only three named ca women characters in this movie, and all of them have slept with Dante. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you don't even see one of them she's just talked about. And there's some real casual homophobia. Yep. And that's the biggest one, not to say that it's more important than any of the others, because I think you're, you're right. And, you know, at the end of the day, 
I think Dante was written to be a little bit of a scumbag with how he handles his relationship with Veronica and especially how he mentally drops it the second Caitlin is back in town and is instantly yep. trying to get back with her. I think I think Kevin Smith understood that he was making the character be incredibly shitty at that point. But, you know, we're what, 15 years later? Or, God, 25 years later. 25 years later, Dante is a lot more of a scumbag for, you know, slut-shaming. And just as a whole, like, I instantly picked up on just how the blatant homophobia was as... Yeah. You know, where I, I had to sit here and be thinking about the thing we always say is you can't excuse something because it was just a product of its time. But I don't really know what else to say about that other than I'm sure Kevin Smith seems like the kind of guy who understands and, and grew from that. And, you know, I haven't seen he's addressed. Yeah, it. sure. And I haven't seen the Jane Bob's yeah. uh, reboot, which is the latest view askew movie. But I'm I'm sure there's a lot less of that sort of problematic language in that film i mean i have also not seen reboot but even by dogma like he's actively using like like a a minor subplot of dogma is the fact that jay is clear jay clearly has some latent self-hating homophobia because he's actually like really into guys but he refuses to admit it about himself and he has to like prove his masculinity like that's a minor plot point in dogma He's, and he, he's openly admitted that he didn't think about that very much until his brother came out as gay to him. And he was like, oh, I'm a monster. <laughs> and like, he's, he's, he's fully, he's fully said, like, I don't stand by any of that shit that I did or talked about in my twenties. Like it was, it was lazy. It was bad. It was hurtful. And I don't do that anymore. And I try not to do that anymore. Sure. And I think that deserves some applause as well as, you know, one of the things you touched on in the notes here is, you know, uh, Clerks was a Miramax film. And after Weinstein was revealed to be one of the most despicable pieces of shit to ever waltz through Hollywood, I don't want to put the wrong words in your mouth, but what did Smith do in regards to that? Uh, So before all the allegations are made public, Kevin Smith talked about Harvey Weinstein as being this like really big mentor to him, somebody who helped him get into the industry, et cetera, et cetera. When everything came out, he had a very public reckoning where he was like, I, this is someone who meant a lot to me, but I can't stand by them. And what he has done is all of his Miramax movies, which, let's be fair, are all of the movies that make him the most money, any royalties he gets from them, he donates them to uh, women's charities and domestic violence shelters. So he does not accept a single cent from any of the Weinstein Company movies that he made with without just straight up donating them. And I think that's, you know, that deserves um, a little bit of admiration then because... He could have not. Yeah, and that's... Tarantino didn't. Yeah, that's definitely how allies should reckon for their actions is realize like, oh, this person helped me, but also I'm in a place of privilege where I am fine without this money. What can I do to help the world in this specific way? I always love when celebrities kind of tailor their charity giving to the thing that they're trying to overcome. Totally. Yeah. 
Uh, before we totally walk out of the um, social justice one, two, three zone, I, I want to legitimately ask the both of you something. So uh, 25 years later, how do we look upon Caitlin's sex scene? The It's not great. Andy. No, no, it's not. Mariah was straight up fucking horrified and my dumb ass, because I had seen this 10 years ago and knew it was coming, was stifling laughter. And I, I'm not necessarily proud of that, but I want to, like, you know, actually have a discussion on that beat. It, it's, you know, the climax of the film. No pun intended. <laughs> climax. <laughs> uh, Stephanie, would you like to comment first? I feel like you deserve to. I mean, you know, it's obviously a rape scene. She goes in, she has sex with someone who's different than she thinks she's having sex with, and he may or may not have been dead beforehand. They say he was dead. So that's icky on another level. She had sex with a dead man, so it's it's complicated, and I don't love it. Mm-hmm. That's my That's my final statement. It's complicated, and I don't love it. Sure. Completely fair. Um, I will say, uh, again, I grew up on this movie. I have seen this movie probably dozens of times. I have most of the script memorized. I will say that particular scene, I don't think I ever found it. I, I don't think my reading of it was ever that it was supposed to be funny, funny. I think it was supposed to be... I always took it as kind of a karmic justice scene. Like, it was supposed to be like, this is what happens to Caitlyn because she's so shitty of a person. Which is problematic for a completely different reason. It is. Like, it's still problematic. I, I, and I say this with all the male privilege that I have, I never read it as a rape scene. I read it as just a really really disturbing scene i'm really glad that we never got like a depiction of it or there was never like the camera on the door as you hear noises uh, or anything yeah, no, like that, that. like i'm really glad nothing like that ever happened like it's so as far as that's concerned like it could have been much worse but i always kind of viewed it as the like karmic comeuppance scene for caitlin uh, which ultimately also showed what a piece of shit Dante was. And it's not great. I, I fully admit it's not great. I never really looked at that scene as funny. I looked at it as kind of disturbing. And honestly, as the years have progressed, like this most recent viewing, every time I see it, that scene is more disturbing to me as I just come to be a bit more sensitive to those subjects well i think it's it's the fate of caitlin like the fate of all of the women in this movie one of them dies one of them has sex with a dead dude thinking it's her on again off again boyfriend and is summarily traumatized and then one of them has her boyfriend maybe sort of have an emotional affair with another woman and then yell at her for sucking 37 dicks before she got with him, which, fine. Suck 37 dicks, who cares? Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll agree, and I, I will say, I, I never took any 
humor out of Caitlin being traumatized. Interesting, I will say, I never thought Caitlin was a shitty person. I uh, Maybe I glossed over this, but I thought as far as she knew, Dante and Veronica were on the outs, and that makes Dante an even bigger piece of shit. Um, I think I, I agree with you in that if there had ever been anything more about that scene, it would tip over into um, just horrifying even more than it actually is. And, you know, I was talking about this with Mariah as we were watching it. She didn't realize like she, she understood what was coming. She saw what was happening, but she didn't realize that the old man was dead in the bathroom. So for the first, for the first couple of moments, she thought it was a straight up rape scene and couldn't understand. And, and then after it was clear, the guy was dead and that kind of leads me into my thing. I, I see it as the most pitch black humor yeah. you possible. But I, I guess just for my own failings and upbringing or, or what have you, I always did see that as a comedy scene. But I will say I'm not above totally admitting that there is no good reason to find that part funny and restructure my own thinking on that a little bit well and i mean to be fair now that i now that i said something i do want to say i i'm now thinking about it i don't know that it's a rape scene because no one no one set her up to have a false belief that dante was in the bathroom right like dante didn't say like hey meet me in the bathroom and like set her up for this so it's just really tricky. It's very tricky. It's very complicated. I definitely wanted to just at least unpack that moment a little bit. Um, and, and since we're talking about her a little, like, I, I don't think Caitlin is a bad person, but I don't think that necessarily anybody in this film is evil. I just think they are all incredibly varying degrees of shitty the only exception being Veronica, who I would go ahead and say is the hero of the movie. She is the only like <laughs> truly redeemable character. That's Fair my enough. takeaway. I mean, she makes the man lasagna. Yeah. Although it is a trope that the wronged woman is the only redeemable person. Sure. Like that's, that is definitely a trope of fiction. Yeah. Still didn't get me talked into anything. Why do you say that? Well, like you said, she snowballed him. Sylvan? No, I, I snowballed him. Oh, look at her, the poor girl that her boyfriend doesn't actually love. Look at her trying so hard she made him lasagna. Poor thing. Yeah. Poor, pure baby angel. <laughs> oh, man. Which is a great Randall moment. It's a great Randall moment. Like, when this movie is good, it is phenomenal. The 37 dick scene. Like, you know, one of the things I read is is the guy at Miramax who was reading this script, he read the line where Dante turns to the customer and is like, my girlfriend just sucked 37 dicks. And the guy goes, in a row? In a row? (laughs) And he laughed so hard and stopped reading because he was like, that's all I need to see to to say that this movie is good to go. Like, like the 37 (laughs) dicks bit is gold. The Star Wars contractor scene is iconic. Rooftop hockey is great. I I love that they go to a wake and and we never actually see how 
Um, you know, everything is disturbed. We hear about it afterwards, but it's so funny just to see them both tearing ass out of, out of there and into the car. Um, <laughs> you know that scene is in the script, right? Oh, I did not know that. So that scene is in the script, and on the Clerks 10th anniversary DVD, uh, they actually, in the style of the Clerks animated series, they animated that scene so that you could see it. And I think it's on YouTube. Like, it's... It's as fucked up as you as you expect. Sure. It's not great, Andy. But it's like and and they cut it for cost reasons. Like they wrote it into the script and they were like maybe I could do this, but they couldn't get the funeral home. They couldn't get like everything they needed for that. So it was cut obviously. Sure. Um but the animation is pretty sweet. I'm not going to lie. It's It's a pretty great scene if you're a Randall fan. I'll say that. <laughs> gotcha. There's so many good little bits, too. Like, there is a sign as Dante is sitting behind the counter with Veronica painting her nails that says, if you're planning to shoplift, let us know. Yeah. I love that. Uh, All of the callbacks are really fun. You know, it, it goes back to the writing, but just... You know, Dante has the all the lines that he keeps repeating throughout the whole time. Oh, there's gum in the locks. Oh, I'm not even supposed to be here today. I, I love all of that. Clerk's drinking game. Every time Dante says, I'm not even supposed to be here today, take a shot. Yes, there you go. <laughs> Alex, did you find yourself in this movie in any way? I find myself all over this movie. <laughs> I'm like... specifically talking about one of the customers of the convenience store. <sighs> so one of the customers of the convenience store, played by uh, the wonderful Walt Flanagan, who is also on the Tell em Steve Dave podcast with Brian Johnson and runs Kevin Smith's comic book shop. Um, one of Kevin Smith's best friends. Uh, one of the customers that, the, that they make fun of is the egg guy. And the egg guy is purportedly a school guidance counselor, as said by the caged animal masturbator. Mm. And he insists on checking all of the egg cartons to make sure that he finds the perfect one. And, like, he never harms anyone. He never he pays for anything he breaks. But he says that he has to do it because it's important to have standards. Stephanie insists that I am this guy because when I go to the grocery store... I open the package and I check all the eggs before I buy them. Well, I mean, I do that. However. No, but like, Andy, he takes them all out and like looks at them and then puts them back in. He doesn't just like cursorily open and glance and be like, cool, cool, no cracks. No, he Uh. like twists each one in the carton to make sure it's not sticking to the side of the carton because if it sticks to the side of the carton, that might mean the egg is cracked and that some dried viscera of inside egg white is on the carton. So it's the easiest way to tell that the eggs are cracked. And if the eggs are cracked, then maybe the quality of this carton of eggs is not good. So you have to go to the next carton of eggs. Yes. However, unlike Walt Flanagan's egg guy, if I find one that has like a busted egg in it, or if I break an egg... I just close the package, put it back on the shelf, and get a new one to test out. So what you're saying is you're worse. Yes. Yes. Much. Much, much worse. Fair enough. I do also love, I should state, the other customer, type of customer that they make fun of, um, or one of them, is the milkmaid, who is uh, the who Dante refers to as the women who show up and need to get like the milk out of the very back because it's like the freshest. Mm. 
and the milkmaid they show in there is actually Kevin Smith's mother, Grace. Aww. Which I think is precious. He, she didn't have any lines, but Kevin Smith was just like, "Hey, mom, will you come to the store and and like just pull out some milk cartons while I film you, and you can be in my movie?" And she was just like, "Sure, Tiger, anything for you." <laughs> sure, Kevin. Sure. She calls him Tiger, by the way. Like, Stop. I know this because I listen to his podcast, and every time he talks about hanging out with his mom or talking to his mom, she he always is like. Oh, it, oh, that's very, that's really nice, Tiger. I'm glad that that's going so well for you. <laughs> she apparently, when Batman v Superman came out, asked Kevin Smith on the phone during a call, "Why are Batman and Superman fighting, Tiger? Oh. I thought that they were friends." Oh my god, that's amazing! <laughs> because this woman has never seen or read a comic book in her life, but she knows her son loves them, so she thought she would ask him about Superman and Batman. Well. God, I just, I love the spirit of that. How can you not? Right. I adore it. That, um, that kind of leads me into my Oscar for this film. So as as we made a tradition, Stephanie and I give every film on cult fiction an Oscar because, you know, just about all of them never actually got one in the first place. And uh, our dear guest, in this case, Alex, is going to uh, hand out a Razzie that I believe you've picked out. I have. So shall I? Uh, well, just just because we're on the topic, we're on the topic of, you know, Kevin Smith used his family in this. He, he was like, hey, mom, come be in my movie. And she said, sure, Tiger. Uh, my Oscar for Clerks is Best Proof. Because, uh, you know, we touched on Kevin Smith almost played Randall. And and when he didn't, he cast himself as Silent Bob. And the reason he cast himself in Silent Bob was so that if this movie totally bombed and bankrupted him for the rest of his life, he would be able to play it and point to himself on the screen and tell his children, I made a movie. There I am. This is the proof. And... (laughs) God, I love that. I I respect the hedging of your bet as like, hey, this might totally ruin my life, but I'll be in a movie. Fast forward 25 years. He has a child and he has put her in like two or three of his movies. One of which is called Yoga Hosiers. And that's all we need to know about that. No, thanks. (laughs) Alex, would you like to give out your Razzie? Don't you have an Oscar to give? I do. So argumentative. This guest is never coming back on, Andy. <laughs> I mean, there, there are several other movies Don't. that we've highlighted as Alex should do this one. Well, Alex should do that one because it's terrifying. Don't tell me where and where I'm not going to be coming on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My Oscar for this movie goes to Oscar for Best Friend and Voice of Reason to Randall Graves. I think Randall is probably my favorite character in this movie. It, I don't know what it says about me, but the 19-year-old girl who first saw this movie had a huge crush on Randall Graves. And, um, yeah, I think he's the driving force and love behind this movie. He's definitely the best character. And, and you know, just neither here nor there, I can totally see Alex closing down the video store to go next door and and bullshit slash verbally abuse uh, his buddy. So, yeah, I can't imagine why Randall's your favorite character. I have a 
I will fully admit, um, I used to like watch this movie with my best friends, like just throughout our teenagehood. And we would all regularly argue about which of us was the most Dante and which of us was the most Randall because we all wanted to be Randall. And it, depending on which part, like I definitely was the smarmiest. <laughs> so I would frequently like be able to argue for Randall. But you look the most like Dante. I do look much more like Dante. What's your Razzie? My Razzie for Clerks goes to the most accurate and therefore worst fight scene between two people (laughs) who clearly can't fight. After after Caitlyn has been taken away on an ambulance and Dante figures out that he loves Veronica because he's a scumbag and basically loves whichever woman is directly in front of him, Randall tells Veronica what's going on with Dante and Caitlyn, not knowing what had happened. And Veronica is rightly pissed, breaks up with Dante. And Kicks him when Randall yeah, walks... I remember in, right. Yes. And when Randall walks back into the convenience store, Dante tries to beat the shit out of him and gives him the least convincing choking... They, like, roll around a little bit and, like, kind of punch each other. It's... Here's the here's the problem. It's a terrible, terrible fight sequence. But it also looks a lot like fights I've seen between two people who just, like, neither of them has ever been in a fight. So they don't really know how to throw a punch. And they don't really know how to actually cause any damage. So I'm mad because it's accurate. <laughs> but it's also just bad. Sure. <laughs> So that's my very long-winded Razzie. I love it. I truly do. <laughs> and also, I mean, you're right. Like, God, I've I haven't been in a fight since grade school, so I can only imagine it would be a a thrashing, kicking affair. I I can only hope I manage to choke the other person a little bit, like Dante does. I mean, you could do it sexier. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I only get to sexually harass Andy on one show. Now I get to do it on another. I I hope you're proud of yourself. I'm so regretting this. (laughs) (laughs) But speaking of things we regret, is this movie cult? You you two go ahead and tell me. Um, I mean, I think it is. I this is another one of those films that like you heard about just just in in circles and like if I was reading a, a a magazine and they wanted to make a really like blink and you'll miss it kind of joke, there would be a, a clerk's quote in there or something like the spawned a career. And mm-hmm. I think this isn't one of those things where it's cult because it's so bad. It's good, but it's so cult because like, like I think people think Kevin Smith, even at this day, Kevin Smith, who is a reality TV guru and a comic book author and, you know, has made like eight or nine other movies. And I think within five seconds of hearing Kevin Smith, you think about clerks. So if you ask me, I would definitely say it is cult as fuck. It, it was very financially successful off of that $27,000 budget. uh, And I think I'm looking at the Wikipedia now Less than a quarter mil, less than a quarter million dollars. Uh, post that basically for marketing and promotion, the movie made three point two million dollars, yeah. which is really really good for an indie film in the nineties. Absolutely, 
Yeah, it's not like major blockbuster, but it was successful. It had a huge following when it came out on home video and DVD. And yeah, I mean, that and the fact that it kind of... I know, Andy, you have a thing about franchises. It spawned one sequel, and it kind of was the basis for a whole cinematic universe of sorts. So in that kind of vein, I suppose you can argue it's not cult, but it's such a... It's a thing that people, like, people who pitch movies straight up will say, like, it's this meets Clerks. It spawned an, it spawned its own cartoon, which failed after six episodes. It spawned a TV pilot with a young Jim Brewer, which never went anywhere. Like, it spawned a lot of not-so-successful stuff. And I think that's kind of why it gets a pass in the in the franchise thing in my brain. Neither here nor there. I think Clerks 2 is overall the more enjoyable movie. But oh, Clerks is the first one and therefore the more important one. Yeah. But I would definitely say absolutely cult. And quotable as shit. So yeah. for my quote, I have... Alex, do you want to do, do it? Because your Randall accent is so much better than mine. Hey, Gatlin. Break his heart again this time and I'll kill you. Not in personal. <laughs> That's my favorite quote. That is like Randall's shining moment. That and and when he finally tells Dante off at the end. No, that is a that is a very good quote. That is a, a very you sentiment beyond that. So I, I dig <laughs> it. <laughs> yep. Yep. I've said something similar to people I love. Andy, do you have a quote? I do have a quote. And, and you know, at, at one point, Dante's saying, man, this job would be great if it wasn't for the customers. Or maybe it's Randall. One of them says it. That that just is such a, like, that puts me back in my popcorn shoveling days at Regal, where it's like, man, this would be an awesome movie if it weren't for the fucking people. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That is a Dante line, if okay. I remember correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. My quote is another Randall, so but it's a little longer, so I'm I'm going to see if I can do this. We like to make ourselves seem so much better than the people that come in here, just looking to pick up a paper or, God forbid, cigarettes. We look down on them as if we're so advanced. Well, if we're so fucking advanced, then what are we doing working here? Which is kind of like the theme of the whole movie wrapped up in three sentences. It really is the thesis. Like... Yeah. They think there's you. I think you said at the beginning, uh, Stephanie, that it's trying to be a very philosophical movie, but it's like philosophy 101. And that just shows at the end that while Randall loves this bullshitting, while Randall loves to talk about this stuff, while Dante has kind of gaslit himself into thinking about how smart he is, at the end of the day, they're really like not in any way on the level that they give themselves credit for being. Yeah. And I just got to say, like, the thing I think about is I I wonder how many people watched Clerks, how many, let's face it, straight white dudes in shitty dead end desk jobs or not even desk jobs, counter jobs, watched Clerks and completely like blocked that last 10 minutes and that theme statement out of their minds and instead just took this as a thing to then like idolize their shitty jobs and just turn themselves into Dante's of their own. I imagine it's got to be a lot of people. <laughs> you guys did American Psycho. It's the same kind of yeah. deal. It's the people who idolize Jason Bateman or Gordon Gecko or fuck. It's 
Al Pacino's character in Scarface. Like, everyone seems to forget the last 10 to 15 minutes of the movie where everything goes horribly, horribly wrong. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, hey, Stephanie and Alex, you know what doesn't go horribly, horribly wrong? <laughs> the dancing in Footloose that this music is from. <laughs> <laughs> never, 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 never. Ah, yeah, ah. God, I love Footloose. Footloose is like, like there's gonna come a day, God willing, we we have some sort of special live show or something, and I, I think Footloose has to be the movie we talk about. Anyway, um, so <laughs> it is it is my curse to um, constantly go up against Stephanie in this game we like to play on every episode. And I know full well that I'm actually most of the time going up against you. So knowing full well, I'm, I'm walking into a tiger pit here. Uh, I was able to connect to Kevin Bacon in, let's see, one, two, three movies. Jason Muse is in dogma, which is also a very enjoyable movie that I'm kind of debating whether or not should get thrown up on the list. But for reasons I'll never understand has Ben Affleck and Matt Damon. Ben Affleck was in Armageddon with Liv Tyler, who was in Super, which is 100% on the list and is a fucked up movie with Kevin Bacon. <laughs> hey, Andy. Hey, Alex. <laughs> Brian O'Halloran was in Mallrats with Michael Rooker, who was in Super with Kevin Bacon. Whoa! Wait, we both went to... Whoa! <laughs> I'm so delighted we both did Super. You gotta love me. I do, I do indeed. I love being... I love being my darling wife's Kevin Bacon just... As it's hitting me, I'm, I'm really like, friggin' annoyed that there was a faster way to get there, but what are you gonna do? <laughs> I love you. I love you. Oh, I also love uh, the last thing we do on each episode of Cult Fiction, which is we put our hands into uh, fate, as it were, a.k.a. the Hollywood Crypt, a.k.a. Uh, I use a random number generator to pick the next movie. Um, we still have 311 movies, several of which um, we have noted as good opportunities for Alex to be a guest host. That is how he finally got on for us to talk about clerks. Let's find out if that's going to be a trend. <laughs> Might be if we talk about Anaconda. Might be. So I'm going to go ahead and spin the list. And we have... Do, 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 do. Number 170. Uh, 170 is a horror movie from 2000 that I have a feeling that you are going to very much enjoy, Stephanie. It is Ginger Snaps which is a movie about a redhead woman who becomes a werewolf. What? I've never heard of this. I have heard, I have never seen this movie. I have heard comparisons to teeth. Ginger Snaps, 2000 horror drama, an hour, 48 minutes. You can see it on Tubi TV, Voodoo TV, YouTube for $2.99, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
It's the 2000 Canadian horror film directed by John Fawcett and starring Emily Perkins. The film focuses on two teenage sisters who have a fascination with death. Uh, uh what yeah wait what I'm into it on the night on the night of ginger's first period she is savagely attacked by a wild creature ginger's wounds miraculously heal but something is not quite right now bridget must save her sister and herself <gasps> i am here for this yes well i th- I will not lie. This is a movie I've been sitting here kind of hoping that we got to sooner rather than later. Um, I'm, I'm very excited. I have never seen this. All I know is it is a werewolf movie and I'm about it. The fashion is very peak 2000 as well. (laughs) It's very like early seasons of Buffy. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) So, I, I I will say I'm I'm sure you'll be watching this, Alex. But uh, oh yeah, I don't think we'll be having you on next time. Maybe the time after that, we'll see. <laughs> um, it's okay, honestly. I guys, I am so delighted that you included me in this. Honestly, like I I, I I've gushed about this movie and how much that I absolutely love it. Um, I will also gush about how much I love your podcast. Uh, I listen to every single episode. I watch pretty much every movie with Stephanie. The only one I haven't watched was Killer Clowns. Um, You're not missing much. But <laughs> I mean, I, I, I listened to your episode, so I got what I needed out of it. But really, thank you both for having me on. Like, I super appreciate it. I love you guys. You're making us run, run long, Ruiz. Wrap it up. Yeah. No, no, I, I love you too. I appreciate everything you have to say, my man. Aww. <laughs> Ugh, gross. He encourages me. Affection. Ugh. Well, that's all for this edition of Cult Fiction. You can follow us if you want to keep up on Twitter at Cult Fiction Cast. You can also follow, rate, and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll close the crypt for now. But join us next time as one of us gets their period for the first time and is attacked by a wild creature with startling consequences as we watch 2000's Ginger Snaps. For Stephanie Johnson and Alex Ruiz, I've been Andy Bowell. Am I the wild creature? You're always the wild. Am I the one getting my period for the first time? I yes. haven't gotten it yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.